Would you turn with me in the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 16? We're looking at the doctrine of the church, the teaching of the, about the church tonight. We read about Christ building his church in the Gospel of Matthew. In fact, it's interesting, it's only in, uh, I believe, Matthew 16 and Matthew 18 where Jesus ever uses the word church in the Gospels, in the Gospels. But in doing that, he makes clear that his mission extends far beyond his days upon the earth, but he intends to build something great and last forever. We're reading tonight Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. Matthew 16, at verse 13, the word of the Lord. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one, that he was Jesus the Christ. I could say no one at this, at this time or moment. Certainly he will send them forth later to tell everyone. We turn to, uh, to the Forms and Prayers book, if you would, to Lord's Day 21 of the Heidelberg Catechism, page 222. We read uh, the question and answer we're going to read here. We read a couple weeks ago in connection with a, a different sermon, but now we want to pick up the study here of the truth summarized in the Catechism, page 222 in the Forms and Prayers book. And I'll invite you to recite it with me, to answering the question. Question 54, what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? I believe that the Son of God, through his Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith, and of this community I am and always will be a living member. Let's ask for the Lord's blessing. Heavenly Father, we come to you as sinners. We pray for the forgiveness of all of our sins, and we pray for the light of your gospel to fill our hearts again even this evening. We thank you, Lord, for your church. We pray we'll think of her correctly, that we might think of her as you think of her and not as the world does. So teach us by your word and strengthen us in your truth for the glory of our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we 
enjoy watching building projects, at least I suppose most of us do. There's something fun, isn't there, about watching uh, a piece of land, a field where there was nothing before, and then the excavation, and then the foundation, and then the building of a building, right? We, we look at that sometimes. We drive by. We take note of what's been accomplished. Remember when I had the opportunity to build some barns, a, a guy who showed up in a pickup truck sometimes and just parked and watched the job site. Didn't get out. Maybe he used to be a builder. He just liked to sit there and watch the process. Now, some building projects seem to drag on. Others impress us with their speed. Maybe some of the warehouses out there off Cordon Road with the prefab concrete walls tipped into place. We are amazed at how fast things go. Some projects amaze us with the meticulous care for all the details that are involved. But among all the, the building projects in the world, there is no building project like the church of Jesus Christ. Christ is building his church. Now, Solomon built some great buildings in the Old Testament. He built a gorgeous temple. King Solomon built a magnificent palace. But the greater than Solomon has come, our Lord Jesus, and he's building a church. And yet, you can't see the progress, you can't see the beauty, you can't see the splendor of the church without the eyes of faith. Otherwise, you just, you just drive on by and say, well, that's not much, that's not much. But it's, it's the believer who's able to look through the lens of Scripture at what's going on in the world, who sees that there's a, a spectacular thing taking place across the world. Jesus has said, Matthew 16, I will build my church. So a little episode a video of a contractor complaining that the general contractor had had taken all the money and run, right? It's a frequent story. But, but this building project we talk about tonight is, is not built by outside money. The cost of this building project is the very blood and life of the Lord Jesus. He died to lay the foundation of this church. The builder has himself paid with his own blood. And no one builds a church like our Lord Jesus. No one is so jealous as Jesus to say, I will build my church. And no one can guarantee it like Jesus. There's lots of builders who say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Maybe they get sick and die. Maybe the money runs out. Maybe there's a tornado and destroys it. But, but when Christ says it, he guarantees that he is the son of God. And no one has taken ownership of a building project like Jesus. There's been some noble builders, right? Christian builders, men who, who take the job seriously. But no one is more jealous for a building project than Jesus Christ is. The world, again, doesn't see it. The world just sees what's going on under night as the same thing as any social club, any voluntary organization, any kind of hobby clubs that, that, that we come together because we're just, you know, we, we have a common interest. We like to get together with people. The world cannot see what's going on here. That this is a miraculous operation of God the Holy Spirit. That he's assembling a church. Tonight we're called to take interest in this. The reality is, is that we all have an eye for a building project. And tonight I want to ask you, what building project has your eye? Is it the building of your personal home, remodeling projects? Is it the building of your family, 
marriage and children? Is it the building of your physique? You lift weights? Is it the building of your career? What building project consumes your attention? What building project is the one you dream about, you pray about, you think about? Everyone sitting here tonight has a building project. That means a great deal to them. And I'm asking you tonight, is it Christ's building project? Is it the church of Jesus Christ? Let's look tonight at Christ's building. He's gathering what Peter says are living stones, redeemed sinners, and he's stacking them up. Let's look, first of all, at who does Christ gather? That's the first question. Secondly, how does Christ gather? And then thirdly, for what purpose does Christ gather? First of all, who does Christ gather? We want to note four things here. Who does Christ gather? Number one, Christ gathers sinners. should be absolutely clear to us tonight that there's not a single member of Christ's church that isn't a debtor to grace. There, there's, no, there's no stone in the building temple of Christ's church that, that, that was altogether perfect. And Christ said, boy, you're a beautiful stone. I need you. Every one of us was a piece of corrupted, defiled, unworthy. We, we were all sinners. None of us deserve a place in the church. None of us deserve to be members of the house of God. We were all under the curse for our sin. And Jesus said that he came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So if you've been called of Christ, sovereignly brought into his church, then you're a sinner and you're here by grace and grace alone. That means no one is barred from being a member of the Christ church by their sin. The church doors are open, as it were, for all sinners to come in if they'll come in through faith and repentance. And no one is therefore beyond the ability of Christ to save them and make them a church member. Even the self-righteous Pharisee and persecutor of the church, Saul, tells Timothy that he obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe. So the persecutor of the church himself saved, made a church member that all sinners might know that Christ saves sinners. But now not every sinner is saved, right? Not every sinner is saved. Because you're not saved unless God sovereignly comes to your heart and gives you a new heart and gives you the gift of faith. And so we must say secondly tonight that, that Christ gathers not just sinners, but he gathers elect sinners, chosen sinners. There's a specific group of people. In fact, you read through the Gospel of John and Jesus says things like, all the ones the Father has given me. There's a particular group given to him. There are, there are sheep given to him, and he lays down his life for those sheep. So Christ has come to redeem a particular people chosen from before the creation of the world. We know that no builder is going to invest lots of time and lots of money and lots of effort. He doesn't seek to build some big building without a building plan. And, and Christ is not going about this work right now of gathering sinners and building a church without a plan. There is a plan. It's been filed not last year with the city, but it was filed in eternity, deposited in the fellowship of the triune God. A plan. God knows exactly whom he will save. God knows exactly how many living stones will be in this building, the temple of God, where God will dwell. Church we're talking about, if it's not clear to you, is not a physical building. I'm not talking about this structure. 
This is just a, this is just a facility. But we the people are the church. We are the building in whom God dwells. And God knows the name of every stone. He knows exactly how many stones there are in his church tonight. All the ones who've already gone to heaven. All the ones who are being gathered upon earth. He knows exactly how many more will be gathered before Christ comes back. There's a name of the last sinner who will be gathered before Jesus descends. We don't know who that is. We don't know when that is. But God does. There's a plan. So Christ gathers sinners He gathers, secondly, elect sinners. Thirdly, he gathers elect sinners from every language and tribe and nation. Remember when the languages were confused in in Genesis chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel. And God restrained sin by confusing the languages and scattering people across the face of the earth. But that was not done in order to now exclude some group from salvation. Because in the very next chapter in Genesis 12, when God calls one man, Abram, Abraham, he makes him promises in Genesis 12. And one of the promises is this, that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God chooses one to bring blessing to all the peoples of the earth. In Revelation, they sing the song to Jesus the Lamb, You are worthy, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And Jesus, you know, upon his ascension, he sent forth his disciples, his apostles, and said, Go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, teach them to obey all I've commanded you. It reminds us that we are to be an eager people with love for our neighbors, We're not to look past any soul because of his or her ethnicity or wealth or poverty or because of the kind of sin that they commit. Christ is saving people all over the world. He's the Savior of the world. Let all the nations praise you. And so we're to preach that word freely, promiscuously, to all peoples, wherever Christ sends his gospel. But then fourthly, not just that Christ gathers sinners and elects sinners and sinners from all over the world, but fourthly, Christ gathers all throughout time. When did Christ's church building work begin? It began the moment God came to the garden and made that promise, the first gospel promise to rebellious Adam and Eve when he said to the serpent that the woman would have a son who will crush your head. That was the promise of Jesus, and that was the first gospel proclamation, and God led Adam and Eve to believe it, and in believing the promise, they were saved. And so began the church. And the church will be to the end until Christ returns. He's going to gather and gather. So so all across the Old Testament, all across the New Testament, all today, we are all one people, one church, one body, gathered by the sovereign Christ. In the Old Testament, Christ appeared in his pre-incarnate state. He was not yet a man. He was the Son of God at work by his Spirit. In the New Testament, he comes in the incarnate state. He takes on flesh, and he appears on the earth, and he dies for our sins. And now ascended to heaven, he works through his Spirit upon the earth. But in all cases, he's gathering and building the very same church, the church of Jesus Christ. So 
So what does Christ do? He gathers. He gathers sinners. He gathers elect sinners. He gathers them from every tribe and nation. He gathers them throughout all time. But secondly tonight, then let's ask, how does Christ gather? How is Christ doing this gathering work? Well, first we could note that it's not a matter of of whether or not Christ will gather all the ones the Father has given him. There's absolutely no doubt that Christ will accomplish this work. In John 10, verse 16, Jesus says, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, they're not of the, I think, the Jewish fold, other sheep I have which are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Christ has no doubt about it. He is absolutely certain that the other sheep that he has as well, he's going to seek them out. He's going to call them by his voice. He's going to cause them to recognize the voice of the shepherd, and he will draw them to the flock. There'll be one flock with one shepherd. I will build my church. Many builders, again, have made promises and had good intentions, but, but their plans have come to nothing, but not this builder. Christ guarantees everything. So we, we need um, encouragement, don't we, for missions and evangelism. We need, we need to be reminded that it's our, it's our calling as God's people to, to seek to win our neighbors for Christ, to invite them to church, to bear witness to the truth, to give a reason for our hope, to be salt and light. But we always have to be reminded as well that though we have a responsibility, our hope is not in our winsome personalities or our, 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 the clarity of our presentation. No one gets one to Christ by that. The, the best, the most that, that a human can do If it's just human power, the most you can do is manipulate someone. So you manipulate them into coming to church. You manipulate them into saying they're a Christian. But true conversion, when the heart is changed, when someone comes to realize I am a sinner before a holy God and I can't make myself acceptable to him, but Jesus Christ has opened the way and I trust in him alone... That's a work of grace, sovereign grace. That's all of God. Jesus says in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. So how does Christ impart eternal life to rebellious, hardened criminals like us? Well, the catechism has it exactly right. He does it. It says it so simply, doesn't it? He does it through his spirit and word. I believe that the Son of God, through his spirit and word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, through his spirit and word, he gathers, protects, and preserves for himself this church. Spirit works through the word. The spirit does not work apart from the word. And the Word has no power apart from the Spirit. Who is the Spirit? He's the third person of the triune God, and he's God the Holy Spirit. But he's sent now as the missionary Spirit, as the Spirit of the Christ who died for sins, arose, ascended to heaven, 
receives the gift of the Father, the possession of the Spirit, and pours the Spirit out upon the church. At Pentecost, that Spirit was poured out with that sound of a rushing wind, reminding us of the original creation of the world, where the Spirit hovered over the waters. And now this sign, this sound was saying that I, God the Holy Spirit, am coming to breathe life into a dead creation, to bring a recreation upon the earth. And there was with that sound of the rushing wind, there were the the signs of the tongues of fire upon the heads of the disciples, and there was that supernatural ability to speak in foreign languages, the reversal of the Tower of Babel, that now he's going to gather people And give them all the same language, the language of faith. Uniting them as one flock. So Christ has come, as he told us, to plunder the strong man's house. Satan had taken what belonged to God. He'd taken image bearers, people. And he was was ruling over them and oppressing them. And Christ came by his death on the cross... To break the rule of Satan by taking away his ability to accuse us, by paying for our sins. And he's coming then to take back what belongs to God to plunder Satan's house. We needed Christ to do this. We could never build the church. And we need Christ's spirit to do this. Only Christ could set us free from the guilt of sin. And only the spirit of Christ can set us free from the oppressive power of sin. You've all had the experience trying to speak to someone the gospel and they have no interest. And you can't, you can't convince them. You can't make them interested. You, you couldn't, for the life of you, sell to them Jesus and get them to believe they need him. Right? And you scratch your head sometimes. Why? Why is it so clear to me? I stake my life on this, and other people just pass by. This is so useless to them. And the answer? Because everyone is blind and deaf spiritually until the Holy Spirit gives them new life. But when he does, oh, how things change. So the Spirit, but the Spirit through the Word, through the Word... It's interesting in Matthew 16 here that when Christ tells, well, let's back up. And Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, one of the disciples, makes the, the right confession. You're the Christ. That means you're the anointed one. You're the prophet, priest, and king. The son of the living God. And then Jesus says to him, the reason you know that, Peter, is, is not because your mom and dad taught you. Not because you figured it out in all your wisdom. No, this doesn't come from flesh and blood. This is a sovereign work of my spirit that he's given you to understand who I am. And then he says in verse 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. There's a lot of ink spilled over those words. Christ is making a play on words here. You are Petros, Peter, and on this Petra I will build my church. Uh, So Peter and Rock are similar. And um, 
Well, the worst interpretation, of course, this, of this, we have to say, is the Roman Catholic interpretation, which suggests that, that, that the church is built on Peter as the first pope. But other interpretations have asked, is the, what's Christ going to build his church on? Is he talking about Jesus? Is he talking about the truth Peter confessed? I think the best answer, he's talking about Peter as an apostle confessor. Peter as an apostle who confesses the Christ. And not Peter alone, but Peter representing all the apostles. Because in Ephesians 2, we read that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And that's why we confess tonight that we believe in apostolic church. That, that these eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus, the apostles saw the resurrected Jesus, they go out and confess that, and that truth is the foundation of the church. And then Jesus says, verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And, and what do keys represent? Well, well, keys are power, aren't they? Keys you have the keys to our church here, you have the power and authority to come in and out of the building, right? If you have the keys to your business, same thing. But what are the keys of the kingdom? Well, you're actually going to come to that, Lord willing, in Lord's Day 31 of the Catechism. We confess that the keys of the kingdom are the preaching of the Holy Gospel and Christian discipline. And then it asks in question 84, how does the preaching of the Holy Gospel open and close the kingdom of heaven? How does preaching open the kingdom? Well, the kingdom of heaven is opened by proclaiming and publicly declaring to all believers, each and every one, that as often as they accept the gospel promise and true faith, God, because of Christ's merit, truly forgives all their sins. But it's closed by declaring if you don't believe, then you are not forgiven. So it's by the power of the word, the preaching of the word, that Christ builds his church. That's the point I'm trying to make. The key of the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom, include the preaching of the gospel. It's remarkable, isn't it? The world's not very impressed with the preaching of the gospel. It looks small. looks weak. Paul, the apostle preacher was often beat upon and thrown in prison. He wasn't real impressive. And yet, the kingdom of Satan was shaking. Dead and sinners were coming to life. The church was being gathered. And that's why we care so much about the preaching of the gospel, because we believe it is the power of God for salvation. Peter had a unique role among the apostles, right? He doesn't stand alone as some first pope or something, but he, he was the one who got to preach the message at Pentecost, Acts 2, when the Spirit is poured out. He was the one that got to speak to the Gentiles first in the book of Acts. And now that apostolic testimony has been inscripturated in God's holy word. We don't have the apostles anymore. We have the apostolic word. And this is the power of God for salvation. And we have to believe that. People are not saved by, by how witty we are. You know, you've had the experience, I've had the experience, you've finished talking to an unbeliever, and you think, boy, I wish I would have said this or that. That would have been a good one. But though we want to speak in ways that arouse interest and try to 
enter into people's lives. The only thing that saves is the word of God. It's only the truth of God. The Spirit uses that word. And that word tells us the amazing news of Ephesians 5, that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And if Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, then he will find his people and he will bring them. Christ did not love anyone and die for them and then fail to change their heart and draw them. He's not a really good life builder who who has a good job and builds a nice house but, but can't get the girl. Christ is very good at courtship. He has not only died for sinners, but he draws his bride. He finds her. He seeks her. He woos her. He attracts her. He allures her. He compels her by his gospel and by his spirit and brings her home, as it were. Christ is the great church builder. It's a sovereign work, this work of the Lord, a work of his word and spirit. That should encourage us. Should encourage us as God's people to know that Christ will not fail, and He will not fail in using the means He's appointed. So we should pray for the Spirit and we should work to send forth the Word. Lord of harvest, send forth reapers. That's why we want to give, don't we, to supporting good Christian seminaries where men are faithfully trained up to preach the word. This is why we want to encourage the men in our congregation and ask, is the Lord calling you into the gospel ministry? The church needs preachers. The world needs preachers. Christ is pleased to use this. This is why moms should talk to their boys. Fathers should talk to their sons and say, this is a noble thing. It's not noble in America anymore. It was a day when preachers were thought to be something. When Princeton was known as a great seminary of orthodoxy. But though the world despises preachers today, we must tell them that this is a noble task to be heralds of the gospel. This is why we must be at work to speak the word to our neighbor, to tell them the truth humbly and gently because the Lord uses the truth. This is why we must in our homes engage the evangelism of our own children, our covenant children. They they need to be gospelized. We need to speak the word into their lives because through the power of this word, Christ saves And he gathers all of his elect into one flock, into the unity of the true faith. But finally tonight, for what purpose? For what purpose is Christ doing all this? Ephesians 5 tells us, Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Christ is gathering his church to never give up on her, but to present the church, his bride to himself on the day of his coming, as a glorious church, when the Spirit completely purifies us and sanctifies us, that we are ready 
arrayed in, as it were, a beautiful white dress ready for the bridegroom. The church is called the bride of Christ. We sing these words, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her and for her life he died. And therefore Christ is going to defend his church. He's not going to let his bride be taken away. Not even by his arch enemy, the devil. And so Jesus tells Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Oh, excuse me. Verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Uh, Hades can mean at times uh, the realm of the dead. But in the Gospels, it often means hell. I think that's what's meant here. I, the, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of a city were the, were the place of power. It's where the elders gather. The gates were the defense of the city. Gates represent here the, the power of hell. Picture all the forces of Satan coming, storming out of hell through the gates. Christ says, doesn't matter. They will not overpower my church. All hell can rage against my people, but I am her protector. I will be with my people. It's not a promise to be used for carelessness. All right, Jesus warned in the book of Revelation, churches that tolerated false teaching and heresy, that if they did not repent, he would remove the lampstand. They would no longer be churches of Christ. Travel around America and you will see it. Many local churches that used to be bastions of truth and are now little more than social clubs. If you go into them, you will not hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are only synagogues of Satan now. So that's a reminder that we're called to pray and to work. The elders have a responsibility to guard the pulpit But as we seek to do that, call out to the Lord Jesus, this is his comfort to us, that he will guard his church. Even the days of Elijah, the numbers had so dwindled, God had reserved to himself, what was it, 7,000 who had not been the knee to Baal. We're to be soldiers of Jesus Christ who seek to follow him, who take up his armor, who call on him for help. And to rejoice in the promise of victory. As the song goes, crowns and thorns may perish, kingdoms rise and wane, but the church of Jesus constant will remain. Gates of hell can never against the church prevail. We have Christ's own promise, and that cannot fail. Onward Christian soldiers marching us to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ is a great defender of his people, and he will defend her to the end. Christ will have a church. On the day of his coming, he will have a people for himself. So we're comforted as we see Christians persecuted tonight. We're comforted as we see many lulled to sleep in America. We're comforted because Christ will have a bride. And that's a comfort not just in general about the church, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you also can find personal comfort. And you can say with Lord's Day 21, that Christ gathers and he protects and he preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life 
And of this community, I am and always will be a living member. I am and always will be a living member. By his grace, I was made a member of the church. He called me. He drew me. And by his grace, I will always be a member of his church. He will keep me. It's talking about, of course, having our names written in the book of heaven. But that should not lead us in any way to despise our names written in a book upon earth. And so many today think that church membership doesn't matter. I can have God without his church. And the answer to the Bible is no, you can't. No, you can't. Because he's deposited his word and the preaching of his word in the church. He's poured out his spirit in the church. And rightly we say on the Belgian Confession that there's no salvation outside the church. Not that the church has you the power to give you salvation. But that the means that Christ is using to save are the means he's given to his church. He's working through his church. And that's why we want to value church membership. We want to tell our neighbors, don't fall prey to the lie that you can have Jesus without his church. You need his church. That's where Jesus is found. And so in closing then, we're noting that Jesus Christ loves his church. And the church means so much to Jesus. And it should therefore mean so much to us. We should pray for the peace of his church. We should work for her good. We should promote the gospel. We should seek to live lives of purity and holiness. We should seek to maintain true gospel teaching. We need men who are willing to serve as office bearers and wives who are willing to support their husbands in that. We need brothers who are willing to be preachers and ladies who are willing to be preachers' wives. We need a congregation who seeks to love each other and to serve in all the capacities that make a church functional and useful. We need to prize church membership and rejoice in it, telling the world how good it is to be a member of Christ's church. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit to work in us. So what's the building project on your mind tonight? Christ is preoccupied with his church. He loves his church. Everything else will crumble. All the buildings we've made crumble. Our careers will be over. The church of Jesus Christ will stand forever. What building project are you investing in? With your time, with your money, with your prayers and with your love. What building project amazes you? Which one catches your eye? What magazine is it that grabs you? Is it the one about your hobby or is it the one that tells you about the mission causes and what's going on in the world? What is it that captures your heart? Are you in step with the Lord Jesus? Are you praying, Lord, help me to love your church as you love her? Help me to see her glory as you see her. Amidst all the failures of your people, and we are a, a failing people in so many ways, help us, Lord, to see the glory of the church is not us, but it's you. You bestow glory upon us. And help us to rejoice in that. 
Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, how we thank you that your word instructs us and teaches us that we might understand the church as the redeemed people of the Lord. Thank you, God, for loving us in Christ and drawing us and making us members. Help us to take your church seriously. Help us to take our membership seriously. Help us to serve with all of our hearts and gladly. Help us, O Lord, to seek the good of your church. Thank you for Christ, the very foundation of the church. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who does miraculous things. Thank you for your word and for the sacraments, for the keys of the kingdom. We pray, Lord, that you will continue to build up your church on this earth. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.